Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Overeater bulimic. I'm actually from the Central Coast, uh, but uh, same idea. Or it's all it's all California to you who are up there. Um, and thank you, Emma, for inviting me to come to this. Emma and I overlapped at at least one meeting, and then she got in touch with me and asked me if I would do this. So um, I'm going to tell my story for just a few minutes. Um, I was trying to sign into the tech number and couldn't get in. So Carol, if you're still here, I missed probably the first 10 minutes of your share. And I'm sorry I did. But um, what uh, I also am a member of more than one program and I came into OA because I heard of it in relation to one of my prior programs. I had not been to it. Um, and I um, when I say I'm a compulsive overeater bulimic, I have at least two chronic diseases that revolve around food. And I'm also a type one diabetic. So my metabolism works on manual. It's the simplest way I know how to describe being a type one diabetic. I've got, I've got carbohydrate allergies. I try to eat very, very few carbohydrates. And when I'm taking care of myself, that's what I do. Um, so it's not my abstinence, I'll get to that. But, um, so what happened is that I became a diabetic near the very end of my college years. I'm 66 years old. I graduated college at 21. So we're going back a while for all of this. And uh, near the end of college, I became a diabetic. And within a few years, I figured out something that a lot of type 1 diabetics figure out. When I call myself a bulimic, I've never stuck my finger down my throat. What I did instead was I didn't take all the insulin I needed. It works and you can get very, very sick. So, uh, but I wasn't doing it very often. I was doing it, I don't know, once a month if I thought I ate too much or you know something like that, maybe twice a month, but it was not a frequent experience. It's like a bulimic who doesn't start out by vomiting 10 times a day, right? But that's where it often ends up. I mean, I was not, you know, I was not taking the right amount of insulin almost every day. I was taking too little. If you take none, you die. So I wasn't doing that. I was skirting the edges. And um, in 2000, I decided to get sober from the eyebrows up, as we put it. So uh, I did that, and I've been in that program ever since. Two programs, actually. And uh, that was fine, but because I still had all this anxiety and things I wanted to do, I started to eat things I shouldn't eat more. And I didn't want to put on the weight. I have a simple way to not put on the weight. It's a traditional bulimics way to put on the weight. My abstinence eventually became, and I'll explain how that happened, but it is real bulimics abstinence. My abstinence is if I eat it, I metabolize it. If I eat it, I keep it. And I would say 95%, sometimes even better than that, I eat things I should be eating for my own health, but uh, not always. And so I was very, very ill in, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I'd gone on vacation to New Hampshire with my daughter and my father. My husband 
who I've been married to for well over 40 years and we still love each other, but he couldn't get on that one. So I was there with my daughter and my husband. Um, my husband, that's a slip, my daughter and my father. He, and he met us in Boston and we were going to this little island off the coast of New Hampshire. But instead I put myself into a situation where I had to be hospitalized. I was going to be dead if I didn't get hospitalized. So my daughter went to the island. My father came with me, bless his soul. He was in his mid eighties at the time. He's now been dead for about 10 years. And um, he stayed with me and they figured out by partial luck, uh, you know, not that they didn't know what to do. They knew what to do, but it doesn't always work. Uh, so that how to get me back to the world of the healthy. And I returned to the world of the healthy. In that hospital bed, I was crawled in a little you know, fetal position, steps one, two, and three, which we just discussed, Carol just discussed and others discussed, because I knew them from my other program. I knew steps one, two, and three, and I said, okay, I've got this food issue too. I had heard of Overeaters Anonymous. I had never attended a meeting. I got back to Los Angeles about, I guess, four or five days after being released from the hospital. And I called up, remember telephones when you had to call up and get a meeting directory sent to you? So I called up and had a meeting directory sent to me. It's not a directory, it's you know, a four page printout. But, um, and I went to my very first OA meeting on Hiroshima day, 2001. I don't think that's an accident. And uh, so my very first meeting was on August 6, 2001. And I immediately knew that you guys were my tribe. You know, you understood food as people who are not gonna have normal reactions to food, none, none. And um, within a few meetings, I went home to my husband, who's a complete normie in all sorts of ways. But I went home to my husband and I was quoting somebody who had been at that meeting, not by name, of course, anonymity. And I said, in, it was a passing reference. I said, and the person got food out of the garbage. Uh, like was, that's not what I was talking about. And he looked at me and said, food out of the garbage? What I love about these rooms is that there are very few of us who don't understand getting food out of the garbage. You know, most of us just wouldn't think that's worth stopping over or asking questions about. That's just, you know, and a positive. That's what that is. And uh, so um, I've stayed, I've stayed, I've stayed. Um, I, um, my original desired uh, abstinence was three meals a day and nothing in between. And I know plenty of people who do that. I really do. I would have had the exception of, except if I need it for my blood sugar, if my blood sugar is too low, I need something. But uh, at the most, I got seven months doing that, at the most. I got two days, two weeks, two months, whatever it is, and I kept on counting from day one again. And I've had a number of sponsors in OA. I've had the one I have now for a while. I mean, I don't know exactly how long it might be, nine, 10 years. And I waited for her. I wanted her, I'll get to that in a minute too, but she was busy. She didn't have room and three years later, she did have room. But um, what happened is that 
I couldn't keep my absence. So somebody who was a sponsor of mine, I think my dog may have just walked in. No, but the door became open. I'm going to close the door. I'm sorry. And, um, oh, my dog did walk in. She was hiding under the, near, under the blanket. So um, I um, couldn't keep it. And she looked at me and she said, don't you feel like a failure? I said, of course I feel like a failure. How could you not feel like a failure? But she said, well, why don't you find something that you think you can keep that's not just silly, you know, that you don't think is silly. I mean, I don't think anybody's absence if they're comfortable with it is silly. But there's somebody in these rooms who I know whose abstinence is to keep going to meetings. For me, that would not be sufficient. I love people. I've always loved people. I know there are people in many 12-step rooms who don't love people. I think people are fabulous. So going to meetings is not difficult for me. I enjoy it. And uh, so I um, became, it became the bulimic abstinence. If I eat it, I metabolize it. So I've been doing that since probably before, but uh, I started to honor it on October 6th. Um, I'll have 14 years, 2006, October 3rd, 2006, I'm sorry. And um, so that's that. Now steps four and five, I had done step four, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Uh, I had done a step four in my other program. Uh, so I had gotten a lot of that out, but I really do believe that now, now here's an Al-Anon share, but I think there's Al-Anon all over the big book. I really do think that we really have to admit that there is nobody's behavior we can change but our own that is it we're done that's all you can do you might want to and you might have some influence you really might have some influence but if you want to change anybody's behavior besides your own you can't count on it you can't always count on your own it depends upon how ambitious you are but there but you can have a real effect on changing your own behavior so um i had done a searching and fairly fearless moral inventory, uh, but that didn't mean there weren't more things to do. There weren't more things to talk about what had happened to me. Um, there were things I resented that I could get over. For instance, I when I was in graduate school, I went to graduate school with a woman who I really cared about a lot and still am in touch with. And she used to have a Valentine's Day party, she and her husband, and my husband and I would go and other people would go, people I sometimes saw only once a year because they were more her friends than our friends. But it was a dessert party and she's a great baker and she used to bake desserts for weeks and freeze many of them or put them aside if they could last for weeks. And every year she knew that I would go or not go, depending upon how I felt at the, like at about 4 p.m. is whether I could arrive at her house at 7 p.m. You know, if I thought it just wouldn't be a problem to resist them, I'd be fine. If I thought it was going to be a difficult night, my husband was fine with this. He, he wanted to go, but he loved me more. And if I thought I wouldn't be able to resist it. So I had a resentment against her and that had never made my original fourth step list because it just wasn't that important. It's something that happened once a year that I didn't care that much about. I, you know, months could go by when I didn't think about it. 
I had a resentment for her on every second or third Valentine's Day, right? You know, so, uh, you know, just have a party. Invite me to your house for dinner, you know, and which you also did. But uh, so, um, you know, it gets, it gets there. I figured out that there were things that I could, my part, my part was, um, you know, resenting it. It wasn't deciding that I couldn't handle it. I still think there are some things I don't want to handle. In the big book, it talks about how alcoholics can go to bars if they have another good reason to be there, right? If there's a good reason to be at a bar. If there's a good reason to be at the dessert party, uh, you know, I can be there to see her, to see her husband, to see our friends, to see her friends and all of that. But there were moments at which my only good reason would have been to fantasize or eat the food you know, one or the other, that was not a good reason. Step five, uh, you know, share this with another human being and God. I think step five is the step that turns, uh, you know, shame into guilt. That uh, many of us, but I'll just talk about me. I was a, I hadn't done things that were questionable and suicidal when I was not suicidal in the middle of the breakup of a very difficult business partnership in my 30s, I had one suicidal thought in my life. And that is the extent of my suicidal thoughts. I don't want to be dead, I'd rather be alive, I like being alive. But I was killing myself, you know, so it's a little bit insane to be killing yourself when you don't want to be dead. And uh, so what ended up happening is that I was able to share all of these difficult, you know, resentments, such as the party, with a sponsor. Uh, I was talking about my sponsor, um, remember CDs. So we're, talk we're talking about getting paper directories. We're talking about CDs, but I had heard my current sponsor on a CD. Um, she, was, she lived both in New York and LA. I lived in LA until about a year and a half ago when I moved up to the Central Coast uh, because uh, my husband and I have some grandchildren here who we want to see more than welcome COVID, but we hope we get beyond this. And uh, so um, I, I asked her and she didn't have room. She has room now. So, uh, and has had room for a while. So what happens is that I was able to tell her all of my solutions to my stuff. It's not just telling the thoughts, the resentment, the resentment I'll stick on the one I've mentioned, the resentment about being at you know the party when I either was succumbing to temptation or was spending 90% of my energy not succumbing to temptation. I was not neutral to, to, towards those things some years. Some years I was completely neutral, but uh, you know, it was, um, I can tell her that my part is that I hadn't yet learned, I've learned since, by the way, but I hadn't yet learned that when something is extremely tempting to me in a situation that I can, cannot avoid, and there are many of those, we all know those, I mean, maybe not in COVID, but certainly in the real world, you know, I. I go and, uh, you know, I really focus on other people. Ten I really focus on... Just, that, you got ten, ten minutes left? Okay. Yeah. I, 
really focus on other people. I really pay attention to what else is going on. And so I no longer think that I can't control myself. I think that, you know, it's a situation that if I want to be kind to myself, because at that moment I'm obsessed, I can, you know, grab somebody and, you know, let's go sit in these two chairs in this corner and have a cup of tea together, even though there are 40 other people or 50 other people around the house. You know, it, there are ways, there are very, very many phrases in all of these rooms, right? But one of them is that uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. And, uh, you know, I plan if I'm going to be in a situation like that. Um, my husband and I, he's a bit of an athlete. I mean, we're old now. He's 70, I'm 66. So he's less of an athlete. But he adores carbohydrates. He's not a type one diabetic and he's not a compulsive overeater. It is rare that we have the same foods for, at meals that we eat together. It is rare. I mean, sometimes uh, we'll have the same, you know, one of the same courses. But we've just gotten used to taking care of our own food needs. And that's how it's been. Um, do I share this with somebody else since COVID? I have, in order to keep my blood sugars really good, which is what I do, I haven't always, as I just shared, I got so sick, I got hospitalized and almost died. I walked into these rooms with a hospital bed close to coma. But um, for many years now, I've been doing, taking good care of myself. And, uh, you know, in order to do that, because I'm kind of locked in, we're building a house, I'm getting out to do some of that, but, uh, you know, mostly I'm locked in. I've been on my treadmill for between an hour and a half to two hours a day since the middle of March. I don't normally do that, but that's what I've been doing. And I wasn't sure if it mean I was an exercise bulimic. I've never been an exercise bulimic. This is not my thing, I exercise. But I was terrified of being in a hospital for any other reason that I didn't, you know, diabetic related reason. So my blood sugars are gorgeous and they're usually very good. They're even better in this lockdown. But, uh, you know, and I called her up. I said, am I an exercise bulimic? You know, do I need to figure this out? And her answer was, no, you're trying to be healthy. And that's what it takes in this moment to be healthy is to get enough exercise while you're pretty much in your house all the time uh, to uh, take care of yourself. So, um, you know, there are some things I've told my sponsor, uh, mostly my first sponsor, not my OA sponsor, although she knows them too, but it wasn't telling them in the context of a fifth step, uh, you know, that I really don't want anybody else to know, that I'd rather nobody else know, but somebody knows them now, you know. And uh, so it's really important to do four and five. The steps I would love to talk about, and I may stay, are six and seven. I think those are the toughies. I don't think four or five are that hard. You know, it's laid out in the big book, how to do step four. The most important column is the column that's not listed as a column, but it's on the next page. What's your part? You know, and the only person you can control is yourself. The only person whose behavior you can change is your own. And then you figure out what you did. And sometimes it's, um, you know, trying to step away from the situation back to the dessert party. Sometimes the situation, the behavior I can change is not to go. 
you know, if I know that there's something I should not do, then I don't do it. Um, once again, thank you all of you. Uh, and although it sounds like we're supposed to be opening up for comments, but any of the people who are managing this thing object, I'm also happy to take questions when others are commenting. So thank you. <laughs>